Right, good afternoon everybody. Um, welcome to this Reuters Institute uh, seminar. Uh, for those of you who are, well firstly congratulations on all of you on passing the initiative test and finding your way here from the original location. Uh, for those of you who are not regulars at these seminars, I'm uh, Richard Sambrook, I'm a uh, senior research associate, I think I am, at the Reuters Institute and professor of journalism at Cardiff University. For a while I was occasionally John Simpson's producer in the distant past, I was occasionally his boss on and off in different places and now I occasionally introduce him. Um, it's a huge pleasure to have John come and uh, speak to us today. He really doesn't need much of an introduction from me. I would simply say that, uh, in my view, he is uh, the UK's foremost uh, foreign international correspondent as the World Affairs Editor for the BBC. He's been uh, reporting the world for more than 40 years, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, nearly 50. Uh, and um, therefore provides us with a, a, a very uh, rich perspective on world events. Uh, and in particular, this afternoon, he's going to be talking about the challenges of reporting uh, Islamic State. Uh, he's going to talk for a bit. There'll be plenty of time for questions, and he's happy for the session to be on the record if you wish to tweet. John is now on Twitter, and he's very keen to get more than 30 followers. So yeah. uh, if, you could, uh, if you could help him with that, it would be much appreciated. John. Okay, thanks. Um, first of all, I wonder if you would... Uh, Forgive me, but I'm um, feeling I've just got back from a, a trip to uh, the uh, wilder parts of Kenya where I got uh, bitten and eaten and everything by a variety of very strange uh, uh, flying creatures, and I'm feeling a bit weird. Um, and I've had various bl- bits of blood, such such of my blood as the insects left me has now been taken to uh, some hospital to be checked out to see why I'm still standing up and so forth. So please, this is a long excuse for saying um, I, I'm, uh, um, you know, not perhaps at my absolute best, um, although I can't remember when I ever was, really. Um, so if you don't mind, and actually I can't see that there's much you can do about it now really I'm going to talk for quite a short space of time and then um, I'd be only too happy to to take questions for as long as you like as Richard said it is it is on the on the record if anybody uh, is that interested um, um, I, I uh, you know but that does mean that I'll be a little bit more guarded about some of the things I say than I perhaps normally normally would um, I've had Richard was, was the, be, the best boss that I've ever had and he was so nice about these things and he just would say to me did you, did you really say that they're, they're <laughs> quoting in the papers and I'd say yeah and he'd say oh yeah no, I thought you might have and, um, <laughs> but now, now we have boards of inquiry and lists of things and uh, a, a range of punishments uh, which which go from you know six strokes of the birch to uh, to execution. So life is a little bit harder uh, in the BBC since um, since Richard left, and we uh, we had to mind our p's and q's a bit, but only a bit. I, I and life is too short, and I'm too old to care too too much what I what I say. ISIS has been a real real game changer for for people like me. Um, I've 
spent uh, uh, the last over the last 20, 25 years going to Afghanistan, um, dealing in one way or another with the Taliban or with with kind of proto-Taliban organisations, which have finally later coalesced into into the Taliban, and. Um, they were, of course, uh, hostile, um, uh, quite deeply hostile sometimes, but not, as it were, physically hostile. Hostile in terms of, uh, um, of, of uh, um, ideology and religion, um, but I was always allowed back. And because fundamentalist Islam, perhaps more than most other uh, uh, ideologies has so many kind of way stations and steps within it. It was always possible to find somebody in the Taliban who was quite moderate and who was quite prepared to to, to talk. Uh, sometimes on camera, even although there was uh, a, a, a prohibition uh, against um, showing the the human uh, figure. A prohibition which, curiously, ISIS uh, seems to have no part of, and I'm not quite sure why that is. Um, but uh, the, the the Taliban put a, an interpretation of the uh, of, of of the Quran into practice, which said that that you cannot make. I mean, it's the same in in uh, Old Testament uh, Christ, um, Old Testament Judaism. You cannot make a a graven image of any living creature and. Uh, many Taliban uh, people regarded that as being as meaning that you couldn't uh, take an image of, of anybody, which made, of course, made working for television slightly complex. Um, and it was indeed very difficult. And and uh, they'd always put their most uh, difficult minders onto you, uh, so that they made sure that you weren't able to film anything except mountains. Buildings, as long as nobody appeared in windows, and uh, cars, as long as you were sufficiently far back from them to be able not to see any anybody sitting inside. But of course, uh, uh, television cameramen, being uh, who they are, uh, we we always came back with, with things. And some, indeed, some of the um, uh, the government ministers in the Taliban government between 1996 and 2001 were. Uh, prepared to be interviewed, even even uh, you know show their faces uh, and everything, which was which was good. I'm only talking about the Taliban because they seemed, until uh, uh, until 2001, they were well certainly they were the most extreme uh, religious sect and the most extreme government that I'd ever come across. But of course, since then, as I say, the game changer has appeared in the shape of, of, of ISIS. I call it ISIS still because I think it's the most easily um, uh, um, recognized name uh, for, for, for the outfit. Um, and indeed, uh, well, with some of the people, the supporters uh, whom I've dealt with also think that ISIS is, is, is the best. If you call it Islamic State, and that, that of course pleases some people in the organisation, um, it, uh, it doesn't please the British or American governments who still feel quite strongly that if you call it uh, Islamic State, you're saying it's a state. Um, well, you know, 
uh, we can argue these things forever. I think the only thing that matters is that we should know that we're not talking about, you know, a, um, a student magazine here when we're talking about ISIS. Uh, we're talking about, about a, um, a very, very fierce uh, organisation indeed. Um, and it has uh, changed uh, the way in which um, people like me report because it is, to be honest, uh, extremely dangerous now. Um, instead of uh, capturing you, as has happened uh, to many, many journalists in Lebanon, for instance, from the 1970s onwards, um, they'll, they'll go further, and we know that from the, from the videos, how far they're prepared to go, and it's very ugly and very, very unpleasant it is. And you've got to be um, extraordinarily dedicated, and I would suggest you also couldn't work for a, um, a, any kind of large organisation and uh, go and make contact or try to make contact with, with ISIS. Um, there's a, a magnificent... German former um, uh, Christian Democrat uh, MP um, uh, called Jürgen Todhofer, who uh, actually did manage to make contact uh, at a sort of medium, uh, medium to high level with ISIS, and uh, went there and uh, well, went to Mosul and um, uh, managed to, uh, to do some filming, not very much filming, uh, and managed uh, to interview um, a German uh, member, a German volunteer who'd gone there. Um, fascinating stuff, wonderful achievement. Uh, if it hadn't been, I think, if he'd, if he'd been a, a um, British or an American, uh, an English speaker... Uh, I, I suspect that it would have gone right around the world and everybody would have known about it. As it was, uh, it had perhaps a more limited um, uh, currency, which is very sad indeed because it's a magnificent thing for a man who's older than I am, uh, he's 74, uh, to have made that <coughs> extraordinarily risky journey and, and got away with it and come out uh, with the with the material for anybody who's interested, um, he uh, what he did was uh, he and, a, and, an, and an associate um, got onto Facebook and uh, registered um, uh, uh, every the name of every one of the German or German speaking um, volunteers for ISIS uh, who's who had um, uh, Facebook accounts and were prepared to talk about what their experiences were. And there were quite a few of those, of course, but I think about 40 of them. And uh, over a period of time, they contacted, well, they wrote to every one of the 40, sending them messages saying, we would like to come. Can we come in and see you? And eventually they found one who said, well, it's not my decision, but I know the man who's in charge of... Um, uh, propaganda, and he will. Uh, I'll ask him whether you can come. And for some reason, uh, it's not quite clear to me why, the man in charge of propaganda said, Yeah, okay, bring him over. And um, there was this uh, remarkable interview, which um, 
which Todhofer did in, in German with this German volunteer. Um, I suppose if you were uh, a little bit brutal, you would say, well, it didn't tell you anything that, A, you didn't know already, or B, that you couldn't have gathered for yourself without needing to hear anybody say it. But, I mean, that's, that's not really the point. The fact was that this man did say these pretty, pretty ferocious things. Um, and uh, that Todhofer managed to get away with it. Absolutely brilliant. And I, I think of my, in my, uh, Richard was nice enough to say 40 years, it is in fact now 50 years of, of working as a foreign correspondent. Um, I, I've never seen anything quite so magnificent uh, as that because uh, Todhofer's life was constantly on the line, not simply by being with ISIS people, but also even to get in there. If you, I mean, One of the reasons the BBC doesn't allow me to go to Syria now is that the, really the, there's only one, one really kind of moderately safe place that you can get into Syria, and it's from the Turkish border, but you have to cross uh, 1,500 metres of open territory and there's a, 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 a guard, it's never quite clear to me who the guard is, but there's a guard uh, stationed in a watchtower overlooking this 1,500 metres with a, uh, um, a machine gun and from time to time people get, get shot as they cross this, this open territory. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens in, enough uh, to have made the, the number of those who are uh, willing to make the journey uh, shrink down to very, very few. And there are one or two of my colleagues in the BBC who still, uh, from time to time, go there, but now probably not more than once every six, perhaps eight or nine months, um, which is, of course, the absolute antithesis of everything that, that, that journalism is about. I mean, we... If you don't see things, what you know? What's the point? Of course, uh, people like me can sit in in London and uh, um, and pontificate about what's going to happen, what is happening, uh, but it's it's pretty meaningless without that personal contact, without the the visuals, as it were, of uh, being able to see uh, what. What, what is happening, what the spirit is, what the atmosphere is. Um, in my case, I, I'm restricted, really, uh, to the, um, the authority of one single person, a, a, a British volunteer for ISIS, whom I, I, I've met and uh, have uh, um, rather tried to, to kind of encourage to, uh, to talk about it. He hasn't yet uh, reached that point. Um, a young guy came from Manchester. Um, he was full of, of, of enthusiasm for the cause. Uh, directly, he, <clears throat> he got there, and there being Raqqa, the, the, the sort of original capital. You know, there's this twin city uh, um, uh, approach. So Raqqa, the um, uh, uh, Syrian uh, town, uh, is, uh, became the kind of centre, of course, of... Of of, uh, of uh, ISIS and then then they captured Mosul, um, absolutely shameful um, business of how they were able how 
probably something like 260 or 270 ISIS men managed to throw out uh, 6,000 uh, Iraqi soldiers out of the third biggest city in Iraq. Um, absolutely shameful, but that is what happened. Um, so this, uh, this, this man I've come to know uh, w went to Raqqa and stayed there for the whole time. But he found, first of all, that he was greeted. He thought he'd be greeted with great, uh, great joy and, um, and uh, camaraderie by, by the others. But in fact, uh, not so. The, the atmosphere had changed by the time he got there, which must have been, where are we now? must have been kind of getting on for a year ago now. And the, the, uh, there was a sort of expectation that anybody coming particularly from Britain or from France would, have, would be working, in fact, for British or French intelligence, would have been turned by them. And um, uh, so therefore uh, had to be treated with the, the, the greatest suspicion and secondly, um, they were regarded as uh, kind of rather pathetic city boys who didn't know what was going on and didn't know how to look after themselves and so on. So this character was not only suspected of being a spy, but he also, which I think, well, I'm sure wasn't, um, but uh, he, he also um, was restricted to peeling potatoes and boiling uh, boiling water for coffee and the, the most menial tasks in digging holes to put the rubbish in and so forth which was of course the opposite of what he had, uh, he had, he had uh, gone there to do now I have to say uh, I mean I've, having described him uh, that is my only uh, first hand contact with, with, with ISIS and as you can imagine I mean he, he after four months, I think five months, uh, got sick of it and, and left. So uh, we're not talking, I'm not uh, talking with, um, you know, the, the, uh, the experience of somebody who, who was a, uh, a, a tough uh, jihadi John type figure. This was a, um, a rather feeble, perhaps rather pathetic character in some ways, uh, who was used by the organisation, in, encouraged to come in by it, um, and then treated quite, uh, quite uh, unpleasantly by the organisation until he managed to, to get out of it. Um, I personally believe, I don't know whether you saw the, um, uh, the interview that a, a senior American uh, soldier gave two days ago, I think, um, that said that he, he thought that ISIS had long since reached its, its apogee and was now uh, in decline. And of course, you know, I mean, uh, to people of my generation, that seems terribly like uh, uh, hearing American uh, officers saying that the Viet Cong were on their way out and they couldn't stand, they couldn't resist much longer. But in this case, I think, I think, it, I think it's, it's true. Um, ISIS is a, uh, an organisation which... Uh, exists um, because of a, a mythos, not a myth, but a mythos, a, a sense that um, uh, there's, a, there's a war to be fought uh, and that uh, it's a war that uh, deserves the support of every uh, able-bodied young man. Um, and 
until uh, until fairly fairly recently, um, uh, well, I suppose until the recapture of the Iraqi uh, town of Ramadi from them, uh, it was reasonable to say yes that that the uh, the caliphate was being extended. It, it does even now, I think, um, control about as much territory as uh, as the size of the United Kingdom, which is you know no small amount of uh, of, of territory to hold. But I, I I I believe, and this now is not based on any personal experience, and it's not based on on talking to anybody there. So you can. Uh, dismiss it uh, if you if you feel so inclined, but I think really that uh, the um, the the kind of uh, the mental tide has has indeed turned there. Uh, I suspect that um, the Iraqi army will recapture Mosul at some point this year. Uh, I do seem to think I said that towards the end of last year, actually. But I, I'm, things do mo- move slowly uh, in, in in Iraq, partly because there's the there's a necessity to uh, get the Iraqi army up to to the point where it is capable of uh, of taking some sort of action. And of course, it's been uh, had a, a strong stiffening of British and American and French. Uh, um, uh, and I think Australian uh, special forces um, helping it along, showing it what to do, and in many cases, I think, starting to do it. Um, Mosul uh, is going to be a tough nut to crack, but uh, the Iraqi army does have certainly the resources uh, um, and certainly the, the numbers to do it. Uh, whether it quite has the morale to do it, well, that's what the British and American and French and, and other special forces are there to, to make sure, to give them that kind of, of confidence. And, you know, I mean, one can, be, one can mock uh, the Iraqi army, which actually, I, I mean, I see quite a lot of the Iraqi army, and I go out with its, uh, uh, with its forces quite often, and they, they are pretty good. I mean, they're a damn sight better than they were under Saddam Hussein, far, far better, and they're much better equipped, and they've got a, a kind of morale going. I think it was just that uh, the officer corps uh, was still at that stage when when Mosul fell, uh, still rather rather weakened by uh, the um, still by the Americans' action in getting rid of uh, Saddamist and uh, and and other officer corps, and. Um, they hadn't always been replaced with the right kind of people. In order to fill the numbers quickly, people had been promoted who probably shouldn't have been promoted and so forth. And indeed, when you're faced with uh, um, an organisation which uh, is capable of the most extreme violence and which was prepared many, many times to take its prisoners and, and execute them on video in fairly often fairly gruesome ways and make sure that everybody saw the videos, then you can perhaps understand that uh, uh, when in the night 270 uh, um, uh, ISIS people attack uh, the town, 
then the soldiers are perhaps more likely to panic than not. And the officer corps weren't, uh, I'm afraid, were, were the first out uh, on, uh, on their... Um, uh, on their jeeps and, and, and trucks and left the men to sort themselves out. So, I mean, it was a pretty shabby, pretty depressing uh, performance by them. But um, they, uh, um, you know, as I say, they're, 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 uh, their morale has been strengthened now. They are better. Uh, and they have this, uh, the, the encouragement of seeing the, the special forces from from Western countries with them, not in particularly large numbers indeed, I think probably not more than maybe three or four hundred, but enough to uh, give the impression at any rate that uh, there's going to be a, a better time this time. And they will, um, uh, they, I, I, I think they will start attacking Mosul fairly soon now. Um, uh, and in fact, I because I haven't been to... Uh, to uh, Baghdad uh, for a couple of months now. Maybe it's already started, but it's only started in a in a kind of slow way. But they will, I think, recapture it. And when that happens, um, when the the capital of the caliphate and Al Baghdadi is uh, presumably uh, you know spirited out and goes perhaps to Raqqa, um, after that it won't look like the all-conquering, all-dominating force that uh, it, it seemed to many young Muslim boys uh, just a, a year or so ago. And I, my feeling is that this is all about um, uh, a kind of morale thing, and it's all about winning. And if you're not winning, then there's only one way down. And I think it will start to look as though... Um, uh, things are, are not going well, and therefore, you know, do you want to trust your life to uh, um, an organisation which is which is visibly starting to lose? Do you want to uh, run the risk that every time you get in a car, um, uh, a drone may spot you and 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 take you out? I think the kind of normal human anxieties and fears will start to, to operate much more than they did, say, say, six or eight or ten months ago, that people will feel a, 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 um, a reluctance to go, and, to go and fight. Now, as the uh, American general said, um, that may not, of course, be entirely good news for cities like London and Paris and, um, and New York, because people who aren't going off uh, to, uh, to, to join ISIS may well decide to try to do something in, in the cities and, of, uh, of the West. Um, well, you know, to be honest, we've all been there before, and we all know that it's still, even, uh, even at its worst, it's still something like uh, 80 times... Uh, more likely that you'll be struck by lightning than that you'll be involved in one of these um, uh, terrorist attacks. And, you know, it does, of course, make you anxious. Um, anybody who remembers in London the 2005 bombings will remember what you thought about seeing a young guy with a beard and a backpack uh, getting on the same 
tube train with you. Uh, it's a natural human response, and of course it didn't actually happen, and we haven't had it for 11 years, almost 11 years now. Um, but, uh, um, you know, that may be one of the, uh, one of the, uh, the, the um, results of, uh, of, of a certain limited Iraqi success in, um, in, in uh, um, um, Mosul and, and in other places. But I think the key thing is that the initiative doesn't now seem to be with ISIS as it did. And it's taken, as it always does take, uh, 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 particularly, um, you know, Western democracies, a bit of time to get things together and put together the kind of package that can uh, uh, lead to, to success and to victory. But I think that package is now starting to, uh, to be put in place. And I, so I, I think I see it as a kind of an enthusiasm that grew suddenly that swelled with these remarkable successes. And I mean, you know, you don't have to be a fully paid-up supporter of ISIS to see that that really was some, uh, some victory uh, when, when Mosul fell, uh, a, real, a real military achievement by that, uh, that organisation, by a small number of people. Um, but I think those days are now uh, thoroughly finished, and I suspect that um, you know we'll see we'll see uh, uh, the next phase starting to, uh, to to operate quite soon. What does it mean, though, for uh, the business of being of being a reporter? And many people in this room uh, are here because they are reporters themselves. Um, well. It, it shows, uh, I, I suppose, uh, preeminently the limitations that reporting has. I mean, we are uh, human beings uh, who have a, a, a real sense of, uh, of, um, of kind of nervousness about losing our heads, literally, uh, in, in, these, uh, in these conditions. And um, I, I, I just think we... Uh, um, We've been shown, except with exceptions like Jürgen Todhofer, we've been shown to be wanting in this because we haven't, and I speak personally here, haven't had the the guts to uh, to go in and uh, and do these things for myself, um, and and uh, that's true of of, uh, of many of my colleagues. We now the BBC now goes about maybe once every six months. Uh, into Syria, um, and we're reliant often on the extraordinarily brave uh, um, um, uh, abilities of of uh, volunteers and local people, and um, the kind of crazy characters that always show up in in wartime. And thank God for them too. People that are prepared to go and face uh, the greatest uh, of dangers. In my, in my uh, now uh, 50 years of reporting, there's only been one place and one time when it really uh, seemed like a, really, uh, like a, a particularly bad idea uh, to go and try and find a, a revolutionary group, and that was the Khmer Rouge in, in Cambodia, who you may remember um, captured um, Sean Flynn, the, the uh, son of, uh, of, of the famous uh, actor, and uh, 
uh, it said nobody knows I think that it said skinned him alive and um, you know was it worth it well no uh, it really wasn't but the trouble is that it put the fear of God of course into all the rest of us and so it was a a big black hole in 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 our reporting and uh, that black hole now has shifted and it, it, it exists in, in Syria and, uh, and in Iraq, in northern Iraq. And uh, I think we just have to hope that at some stage the risk will lessen a little bit um, and it will be possible to, to get back in there. I just want to finish my, my uh, remarks by uh, reminding you, I'm sure you don't need any reminding, but of the case of a, um, a British uh, photojournalist, John Cantley, who's uh, being held by, by ISIS, um, who um, should by, by rights have been another one of those really um, uh, uh, tragic characters who's, uh, who were executed uh, on camera, but who, with enormous intelligence and, and wit and shrewdness, and, and courage managed to persuade his capture, captors, that's to say the ones who'd already sawn the heads off uh, a number of Westerners, um, that somebody should present their, their view uh, uh, to the outside world. And if you remember, I don't know whether you've seen those videos, series of videos that John Cantley did for a time, it seems now to have stopped, about life in, uh, in Raqqa. Um, I, you know, he's a he's a really good journalist. He's a bright, uh, clever, and a, a extraordinarily brave man. He know he knew what he was saying was was utter rubbish. But it it always reminded me slightly of Scheherazade in the in the um, the Thousand and One Nights. You know, telling uh, telling the, the 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 great lord another story tonight in order to keep her head for just one more day. And he seems to have succeeded so far, at any rate. And, uh, well, I don't know. I'm not uh, much of a, of a praying kind of person, but I do uh, pray regularly for John Cantley and his safety because, by God, of all of them, I think he deserves uh, to, to, uh, to, for us to acknowledge his, his, his courage in dealing with these people. Now, I'm so sorry, I'm, uh, I've been rattling on for, for ages and ages and ages. I'm more than happy to answer questions about anything you might, might choose <coughs> excuse me, to, uh, to answer. So I don't know if anybody has got any questions, or maybe we should just go. <laughs> John, thank you very much indeed. Who would like to, uh, to, to kick off any questions?